Welcome back to another episode of Dentistry's Growing with Grace podcast. Join Grace and her guest of the week as they discuss lessons learned in the industry and explore unique insights into ethical growth. Hello and welcome back to Dentistry's Growing with Grace. I am very happy to have my friend Jan Palmer here with me today. Jan, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Grace. This okay. is exciting. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So um, before we jump into, you know, talking about sleep apnea and what it can do for practice and, and kind of talking about some of those uh, commonly asked questions around that, tell me a little bit about how you came to be in the position that you're in and, and you know, in your business. In my business. I came into the field of dental sleep apnea in 1999, kicking and screaming, okay? I was not going to do this. I was not going to learn this. There was nobody in the country doing it. And I was dragged into it and I had to learn it. There was nobody around to show me the ropes. It was all done by trial and error. There was maybe 25 dentists in the country doing this at the time. And most of them didn't have anything to do with medical insurance. And um, boy, oh boy, it was, it was a tough road at first. And I remember getting my first claim processed and paid. And it was so exciting because, you know, dentists just never build to medical. Now they do all the time with other things. Um, so once I started and figured out and all the loops and everything like that, I started doing consulting with offices back in 2001, I believe it was. And I've been all over the country. I've spoken at so many national meetings. Um, I was I, I started off with uh, the American Academy of Dental Sleep Medicine, um, just doing different things for them, you know, lecturing for them and, and their mastery course. I was one of the founders with that and everything. So, um, and then Medicare came along and it got even worse. And I, I love figuring it out. So um, now I share that with, uh, with the nation. It's, it's exciting. That's awesome. I love that. So, so I know of a lot of dentists that think about implementing sleep apnea in their practice. They think about bringing it in and they're kind of on the fence about it. Um, if someone's on the fence, how can they really just figure out, is this for me? What, what can they do as like a first step? Um, well, get a little bit of education on it. I mean, theoretically, any dentist that's licensed can do an oral appliance for sleep apnea. That is in their, their licensure. However, it's understanding the disease. You have to really understand the disease of sleep apnea. You have to build your rapport with your medical physicians. You're part of the medical team treating a medical disease. So you really have to think if that's something that triggers you. Um, I know a lot of the dentists that I work with, this is like a second career for them. They've done general dentistry for 30 years. Their back is killing them from hunching over all day and they want to do something. They want to stay in the field, but they don't want to retire. So they start doing this and where general dentistry and restorative is physical, this is more cerebral. They have to think about what they're doing and the long-term goals of the patient. So um, they really have to do some soul searching. Uh, it's not just slapping the appliance in place and sending them on their way. There's a lot more to it than that. Um, just like with the coding, there's a lot more behind the code. You know, anybody can submit a code. So they just have to think about it. And if they want, they can give me a call and I'll talk to them about what it takes to implement into your practice because you want to make sure you get paid for these appliances. Uh, you can do them all day long, but it's really not effective, uh, cost effective if you're not going to get paid for them by insurance. Yeah, so, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, 
I, I talk to a lot of dentists. It's what I do most of the time at work mm-hmm. is just talking to doctors, listening. And a lot of them go through training. They learn how to implement like from a clinical perspective. Yes. And then they don't market it. And that piece hurts my heart just because of where I live. I'm like, your community doesn't even know this is a thing. They don't even know this is a problem. They definitely don't know that you can help them find a solution, provide a solution for them. Do you see that a lot? Like people who kind of go through the the clinical training aspect of it and then don't really take it any further? Yeah, they're, they're basically, um, invisible. <laughs> yes. Um, it happens. People hit stumbling, bo- stumbling blocks. Um, you have to have at least one team member in your office that is interested in learning this. That's a big plus. You have to um, start with your own internal patients, teacher hygienists, the basic clinical things, what to look for. I mean, they're in the patient's mouth. They can look at the airway. They can see if the uvula is reddened. They can ask questions. They can get the dialogue started. And that's a good way of starting your patient base. And once your doctors see that you're doing a good job and you, of course, CC them on all your notes and everything, they will start sending people. They have to build trust. That's the problem. Yeah, um, it's it's building the trust and you have to have the passion for it. And you have to be willing to talk about it. I mean, I'm I'm on airplane just like you. You know, you're traveling all over the country. I see people that have CPAP machines on the planes. I can count them. You know, it's yeah. like and you get seated next to next to somebody and the subject just comes up. And I know I've given out uh, dentist names all over the country from where these people live in their hometowns and say, go see them if you don't like your CPAP, you know, mm-hmm. it's um, we, and we live in a time right now where it doesn't take much to get your message out. If you want to mm-hmm. educate your community, you can, you can leverage social media to educate your community. You can, you can put that information on your website for people who are already searching for it. Like there's a lot mm-hmm. that you can do. Um, and so if you've committed to the clinical side of it and the learning and you're passionate about it, then you may need to see it all the way through with some more implementation um, and, and protocols. So talk to me, I think this is the biggest, the, this next question it hits on the biggest um, headache for people relating, you know, when they think about uh, sleep apnea in their practice and treating sleep apnea, it's the medical billing. Why is this such an obstacle for our doctors and our dental teams? Well, um, it's, it's, it's like any new thing, you know, we all jumped into learning. I started off as a dental assistant. Then I went into the billing department for a seven doctor pediatric office. So I learned dental insurance. I had to, and you get comfortable with it. Well, now somebody's introducing medical insurance and it's a whole different ball game. I mean, as much as it's the same, it's that different. Um, and it's not, you know, you're doing a, an MOD on two thirty it's cut and dry. You're treating sleep apnea. There's so many other things that you have to look at other than just billing out the code for sleep apnea. You have to make sure they meet criteria. Um, There's just, there's stumbling blocks. People get frustrated. They don't know what to do or who to turn to, or they get wrong information or claim gets denied. They can't cover it, you know, and then people just give up on it. And there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of doctors out there that have given up on this. And it's too bad because um, 
it just, it, you need it's to a, follow through with it. It's a life-saving service. It's not, it's a life-saving mm -hmm. treatment. And so, you know, we could go so far as to say, as a dentist, you have a responsibility, and this is in my opinion, you have a responsibility to at least look for signs and refer out if it's not something you're going to be doing because it's life-saving. And so anytime we have the opportunity to, to save a life, I feel like we should just from an ethical standpoint. So even if you don't become the guru mm -hmm. in treating sleep apnea, I personally would encourage you to at least know the minimum. It's great that, that you mentioned that. You know how fair that is? That is brilliant because the ADA has put a policy, a statement policy out that dentists are to screen and refer. They're not supposed to diagnose. I mean, you can buy home sleep tests all over the place. There's a lot of them out there. However, you have to check with your state board of dental license to see if it's in your licensure to do that because you're mm -hmm. diagnosing a medical disease. But they want you to at least screen, ask some questions, refer them to a doctor, medical doctor. I mean, screen and refer, that's your best bet. You want to get quality patients in your practice. So you're looking for the patients that are already diagnosed. They already have a diagnosis. And, and I, I want to say, okay, let's do this out of love. Let's do this out of service. Let's do this out of just doing the right thing. Um, and then when that doesn't work, think about the liabilities. Like if that doesn't motivate you enough, then think about how are you, how would you feel if after learning this information today, you're now a light bulb may be going off that you need to know at least how to screen and how to train your team to screen. Um, think about the liabilities of that if you know and you don't do what you know you should be doing, just like a thorough oral cancer screenings. Um, we need to make the time and find the time to include these things. And I know it's not easy. I know there's right now there's there's all this time and headache around PPE and um, all of the change in protocol. And so we've kind of, some people I think have kind of gone into this bare minimum mode where we're gonna do the bare minimum just to get through this time. Mm -hmm. um, I'm begging you, <laughs> please don't do that. <laughs> like, please keep your standards high for how you're gonna take care of your patients because um, COVID isn't the only deadly thing that exists for us right now. There, there's um, oral cancer still matters mm. and airway, breathing still matters. So let's get stay focused on that um, total patient care. Um, so what about Medicare? Does Medicare cover these treatments at all? Medicare has standards. They have guidelines and criteria that must be met. Uh, people are afraid of Medicare. If you follow Medicare guidelines and do what they say, uh, they're fine. They're great. They're nice people. <laughs> I've never talked to anybody there. I'm on a couple of the outreach and education committees with uh, two of the four jurisdictions with, with Medicare DME. And um, everybody there is wonderful. And they want you to follow the rules and everything. And basically, it's all written out in black and white. You have to read it. You have to know it. You have to follow those directions. And you'll be fine because, I mean, I've had people say to me, now I do applications for DME providers weekly, daily almost. I'm always doing them. And they're like, um, oh, once one dentist told me one of his friends submitted an application and they didn't submit the application right and they got $5,000 fines. 
And I said, well, you go back to your friend and find out what really happened because if you make a mistake on your application, what they do is they send you an email and say, please correct this. I mean, it's like, it's like, find out what they really did. You know, they didn't get that done. Yeah. That's really scary. It is. There's a lot of indication of embezzlement or, or really just not being at the bottom, not getting to the bottom of the actual story. Yeah. That doesn't sound right. They didn't get fined for not filling out the application. Right. And, um, Dentists doing oral appliances have been off the radar of Medicare until like the last two years. And now they're starting to do audits here and there. And if you follow the guidelines and you know what they are, you'll survive an audit without any problem. It's yeah. real simple. So just yeah. be be prepared. And and I think in being prepared, you've you've hired professional assistance in um implementing these things in your practice and in in providing this this service to your patients Mm -hmm. um so with medicare what are the options with that well okay this i'm going to try to make this as clean as possible medicare has four different parts they have part a b c and d okay so as dentists part a covers your hospital services we don't care about part A. Part B are your provider services and your DME services. That's our biggest chunk. Part C are your Medicare Advantage services. And that's when they have an outside company, an outside insurance company, take over the the, uh, Medicare policy. So you deal with Cigna or Aetna or Blue Cross or United instead of dealing with Medicare directly. And then there's part D, which we all know about is drug insurance, the drug coverage. So under part B, which we're concerned about, there's two sections. There's provider services, which is straight part B. And then there's a subpart called DME. When you're a dentist and you're treating sleep apnea, you're looking at the subpart of DME. It's a different contractor. It's a different application. That's who we want to deal with. So your choices are you can go in as a participating provider. You follow the rules, you submit the claim, you get paid. Everything's wonderful. Now, one of the biggest fallbacks is each jurisdiction, there's four jurisdictions in the country. Each one is allowed to make up their own fee schedule. And they range from about $1,000 to almost $2,000. So depending where you are in the country, it may not be cost-effective to be participating because if you have a, a seven or $800 lab fee and you're doing a case for $1,100, it, you're not making any money with doctor time and chair time and everything. You really have to weigh the pros and cons. So if you're participating, you're limited to whatever they allow. You can go in as a non-participating provider for a DME supplier and it's actually your business that gets put in as the supplier, not the individual, individual dentist. And as a non-participating provider, you collect your regular fee up front, whatever you would charge John Q. Public, anybody with any insurance. You have to submit the claim. They get the reimbursement. As long as they get the reimbursement, you're non-participating, you'll get your full fee. Third choice is to do nothing. Not a good choice, not a good option. You really need to make a decision here because if you do an appliance for a patient, you charge them, which you can, people do this all the time. You're supposed to have a private contract with that patient to let them know that you have done nothing with Medicare and that if they went to a provider that either was participating or non-participating, they would get coverage. So you're, you're, 
even though you're you've done nothing with Medicare, you still have responsibilities. And I think that's the hardest things for people to to understand, especially dentists, because we've never had to deal with Medicare before. Yeah. Um, so now we have to. You really can't ignore it. And the biggest thing with Medicare is well, anything that we're forced to do. That's- oh, I know. We don't like as dentists, we like, you know, the dental field, we like to make up our own rules and stick to them because we know. But 10,000, I'm sure you've all heard 10,000 baby boomers, boomers are turning 65 every day. So there's a big section of your practice that's going to be over 65 and Medicare covered. Um, and the other big thing is more and more insurances are starting to follow Medicare guidelines. So if they follow Medicare guidelines, you have to be uh, familiar with what Medicare allows and don't allow. So you can't ignore Medicare anymore. Sorry, mm-hmm. guys. Hate to be the bearer of bad news. But the good news is we have a lot of education available to give you. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah. so- because really the doctor is going to be relying on their team for a lot of this, I'd imagine. So how can the team members get education around this? Well, um, there aren't a lot of formal classes just for sleep apnea. Like it's not considered a specialty yet. I'm sure it's going to at some point. And once it is, there's going to be more um, the ADA and they'll, they'll come up with more, more degrees and everything for people to um more certifications for it. But like, I've been in it for years. I've, I'm, I'm still in the trenches every day. I'm still doing this for doctors. Um, so I'm keeping up with it. Um, there's people like me. I know there's other great consultants out there too that do this and they can educate you. That's the basic thing. And the good thing is, is what once I work with a practice, they're mine forever. I have people from 10 years ago that call me and ask me questions and it's like, yeah, I give it to you. You know, it's, uh, um, I mean, you have options too when you decide to do this, whether you want to keep it in office and do everything yourself or outsource it. There's a lot of offices that choose to outsource uh, for their pre-authorizations and their billing. Um, If you're not doing a lot of cases, you have to weigh the pros and cons because it's not always Mm -hmm. cost-effective. You're paying your maintenance fees. So if someone's at a point where they're like, okay, I want to learn more, um, how can they get in touch with you? Oh, they can shoot me an email. Jan at Dent, D-E-N-T, Med, M-E-D, I-N-S, short for dentalmedicalinsurance.com, or Jan at DSAT Sleep for Dental Sleep Apnea Team. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much. Is there anything you want to leave with? Any Anything you want to leave people with? Um, just, you're doing a great service. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Please don't get discouraged. Those first few claims are so hard to get processed, trust me. Um been there, done that. I'm here to help. Um, you're doing a good thing. You know, refer and screen, get to know your doctors in the area, your pulmonologists, your cardiologists, uh, be their best friends, get involved. For Thank sure. you so much, Jan. Thank it, you, Grace. My pleasure. And for those of you um, listening on our podcast or watching, please join our Facebook group. It's Dentistry's Growing with Grace. We'll continue to bring you educational information that will help you to grow your practice and develop your team. So thanks so much. And I will see you next time.